Hey everybody, New Hope Radio. Dave Therrien, thanks for coming along today. Don't forget you can catch us at newhoperadio.live, YouTube and Facebook. And later on, the Hope Club Podcast. Store all our messages there for your listening enjoyment. Hopefully your spiritual growth as well. I'll tell you what, if there's one thing we need to know as much as possible about, it's about the Lord Jesus. There are so many aspects to who he is. And the greatest journey of knowledge is to be on that path, walk that path to discover who is Christ and how does that affect your own personal life? We're in a series entitled Bible Basics, and it's, you know, I believe the foundational teachings of the Christian faith. We need to be grounded in these things. And we're in a study of Christology. Christology is a term that simply describes the study of Jesus Christ. The word ology, right, means a a subject of study, a branch of knowledge, right? You got biology, physiology, right? It's a branch of study. So Christology, it's a study of the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it is a well-fitted study for the Christian walk. Oh yeah, fits us just right. You know why? Because it's who we are. And it teaches us how to walk, how to walk with Christ. Now we noted so far in this study, the pre-incarnate Christ. That means before he took on flesh. Jesus Christ, before he had a body. And we noted these things, that number one, Christ is God. Number two, Christ is creator. Number three, Christ is equal to the other members of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son. I mean, uh, God the Holy Spirit. He's God the Son. Fourthly, Christ is the Messiah of the Old Testament. Fifthly, we noted all this last time, Christ is the angel of Jehovah. And number six, Christ is testified by Scripture. So you can go back to the Hope Club podcast and get all these down. It's right there at the top, the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, who is Jesus Christ? Now today, we're going to see the incarnate Son of God. That means when he took upon himself human flesh. You realize no one ever did that? I'm like, no one ever lived in eternity past and then entered humanity with a physical body. (laughs) No, no, No one did that. Jesus did that, right? Now, later on, some angels did it back in the Old Testament. But we're looking at Christ himself, who is a member of the Godhead, and he entered the human the human realm. And we're going to know seven aspects of the incarnation. Again, good Bible basic doctrine. Okay? You write these down, you learn these principles, you're going to do okay. So the, pre, the incarnation of Christ. Number one, there was an Old Testament anticipation of his incarnation. Okay? The scriptures prophesied that Christ would come in a human body. Yeah, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, he said this was going to happen, oh yeah, 700 years before it happened. 
This is on your Christmas card, by the way. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now that's the beginning of his life, and then we have the millennial kingdom, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So that was prophesied. And then his birth was prophesied. Can you believe it? By the Old Testament prophet Micah? Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he said, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Right? You sang about that, O little town of Bethlehem. Micah wrote that song. Yeah. He said, Too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Beautiful picture of even where Jesus would take upon himself human flesh in Bethlehem. Therefore, Israel did look forward to their coming Messiah. Sadly, when he came, they failed to recognize him. Think about it. They had the scriptures for all those centuries, and they learned the scriptures, and they knew them. And then when Christ came, they missed him. They missed the boat. The second aspect of his incarnation has to do with his birth and childhood, the birth and childhood of the incarnate Son of God. Now, we're all familiar with the Christmas story when an angel came to Mary and announced that she would have a son. In Matthew 1.18, he records for us, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. I like the way the King James says it, was on this wise. I like that. But our modern translation, it was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they were engaged. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And again, it's a quote from what? Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, wait a minute. This was a break from tradition because his name would have been called Joseph. But wait, Joseph wasn't his father, was he? No, Joseph was his adoptive father. The Holy Spirit was his father. So, yes, Jesus, meaning Emmanuel, God with us, God was his father. So that was exactly the way it should have been. So Christ was born of a virgin, and yet, though he was God, he grew up like anyone else. Following his being back in Jerusalem for three days when he was 12 years old, his parents found him reasoning with the scribes. Remember, they went to Jerusalem and for a Passover feast, and on the way home, they realized, where's Jesus? He's missing. So they went back to Jerusalem, and they found him, reasoning with the religious leaders. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth after that, and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. So Jesus grew up like any other little Jewish boy. He didn't have any 
uh, advantages because the doctrine of the kenosis, laying aside his deity, means that he operated as a full-fledged human being. He laid his deity aside. And Mary, she was the thinker. Every so often, she had to ponder these things in her heart. And Jesus grew up. He attained wisdom. He grew up physically. And God loved him, and people loved him too. That's a pretty good testimony, isn't it? That if God loves you and people love you, you're doing okay. So in his ministry, he became many things to many people. He was healer to the sick, comforter to those that mourn, giver of sight to the blind, teacher to the searching, savior to the world. In Jesus, we have the union of two natures. That's why he's called the God-man. Not half God, half man. All God, all man. John's Gospel opens up in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And that word beginning, it means a beginning that wasn't a beginning. It speaks of eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So this Word that was with God and divine was in eternity past. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh, oh, the incarnation, and dwelt among us, John said, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what does it mean we saw his glory? It's a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus took his three disciples to the Mount, and Moses and Elijah ministered to him, they showed up on that hill. And the Bible tells us that his garments glowed. They radiated. It was like a picture of his resurrection body. He was in his glory. And John said, I saw it. Oh, we saw it. We were there. We saw his glory. We know God came in the flesh because he walked with us. And then we had a glimpse of his glory. Oh, no doubt about it. They were convinced. Yes, they were. I hope you're convinced. I know I am convinced that Jesus Christ is God and he's the God-man. And those that aren't convinced, oh, they're missing so much. They really are. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 3, speaking of Christ, he is the radiance of his glory, of God's glory, and the exact representation of God's nature. That means that he is the physical resemblance of who God is. Okay? I'm going to date myself. I don't know if they make it anymore, but we used to play when we were kids with Silly Putty. I don't know if they still have silly putty anymore. But, so you would take this silly putty, right? It was like a clay. You could stretch it. And we would stick like a coin in it. And then pop out the coin, and you have the exact image of the coin in the silly putty. Looked just like it. I mean, you couldn't buy anything with it. (laughs) Because it wasn't made of the right stuff. But Jesus is the exact representation of God. That's why he could say, if you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. People want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. There he is. And it also says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Wow. What is it that holds this whole creation together? The word of Jesus Christ. And if his words can hold the creation together, they can hold you together as well. And then it says, when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That means when he atoned for the sins of the world, he took his place on God the Father's throne. It's called the session of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back. Because it tells us that Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Now the word nature is the word hupostasis. Okay? And what does that mean? It's a compound word. Okay? Hupo means under. Stasis means to abide. To abide under. We would translate it substance. It's like deity was abiding under a human body, inside a human flesh. The the King James translates it person. Okay? So what we have here is a beautiful picture of the nature of God inside a human body called Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, we have two natures. We have the Word, and we have the body, the hypostatic union. He's divine, and he's human. Hypostatic union, the union of two natures in one person. No one else has that, only Christ. The third aspect of the incarnate Christ is the baptism of the Son of God. The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist at the Jordan River was an important event because it consecrated him for the ministry. It was sort of an ordination taken from the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, a man entered the Levitical priesthood at about 30 years of age. But according to Numbers 8.24, at 25 years of age, he began his instruction. And then at 30, he began officiating at the tabernacle. Is that officiating or officiating? I guess it depends on what country you come from. At 30 years of age, Jesus entered the ministry. So when the Levitical priest was ordained at 30 years old, He was anointed with oil, right? Oil was poured on his head. Remember Psalm 133, when Aaron was anointed? And it ran down. Well, Jesus was anointed when the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, okay? He had the same type of anointing. And that anointing was a picture of acceptance into the ministry. And the Father acknowledged that he had pleasure in his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the anointing that came down in the form of the Holy Spirit was symbolic of the oil, or should I say maybe the oil was symbolic of the dove, of the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus into his ministry. Pretty incredible. See, everything in the Old Testament points to Christ, who he was and what he would do. It's a beautiful combination. The fourth thing we see about the incarnate Christ is the temptation 
of the incarnate Son of God. And I'm sure you're familiar with Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. The Spirit, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where Luke says there was wild animals and the devil was there waiting for him, trying to trip him up? Are you kidding me? Why would the Spirit do that? Well, this is why. The Spirit led Jesus to the testing ground. His impeccability had to be challenged, not just as one who was divine, but one who was human. The temptations of Satan came against the humanity of Christ. We have three temptations by that devil. Number one, hunger, right? Forty days of fasting. His humanity was hungering. What did the devil say? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus, you look hungry. Come on. I got some peanut butter here. Turn that stone into bread. I'll give you some peanut butter and jelly. He said, no, man, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He, he, he answered him with scripture. Then he tempted him to cast himself down, jump off the temple. And Jesus said, no, man, you don't tempt the father for protection. See, he could have got hurt physically, even though the angels would have bore him up. He said, no, you don't tempt God. And then he said, listen, I know you want a kingdom. Tell you what, you're going to be king, right? If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the will right now. Again, tempting his humanity. And Jesus said, like, no. I'm going to get it anyway. I don't need to get it from you. Okay? So Jesus responded with the word of God every time. But remember, his humanity, the weak part of who he is, was being tempted. And yet he came out victorious every time. It goes to show that when we've got the word of God inside of us, we're stronger than we think. Don't underestimate yourself. You have a lot going for you when you've got God's word inside of you. Fifthly, We've got the transfiguration of the Son of God, right? I already talked about this a little bit, the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what that was? A display of his return, of the promised coming kingdom. Oh, and he comes back to set up his millennial reign. He's going to be glowing. And guess what? We're coming back with him. Jesus said to a crowd one time in Luke 9, 27, I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then eight days later it happened. Behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah. And they appeared in glory and they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the point is, yes, everything Jesus said was fulfilled. Jesus was demonstrating in his humanity his deity. And when he was tempted by the devil, he was demonstrating his deity through his humanity. That's incredible. It's incredible the self-control that Jesus had. And that's why we learn the Word of God, because self-control is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? The last part of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And that's what we want the Spirit to develop inside of us, along with love, joy, peace, patience, and all those other parts. But self-control, that's the big one. You know why? keeps us out of trouble. If you want to stay out of trouble, we've got to develop self-control. Then we have the teaching ministry. 
of the incarnate Son of God. You know what they said about Jesus in Matthew 1? That they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes are boring. They would just get up and read the scrolls. But Jesus, he gave it life. Jesus gave life to the Word of God. You know why? Because he was the Word of God. He was the Word of God incarnate. And, you know, sometimes I hear preachers read the Scriptures and they're so dead. The Word of God is alive and powerful. We need to read it that way. We don't read it like an obituary. We read it like an exciting story because it is. It's alive. And Jesus gave it life. In Matthew thirteen fifty four, though, he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. And they were what? Astonished. And they said, oh, where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers, they were like, what? Hey, wait a minute. We know Jesus. How'd, how'd this happen? Where'd he go to school? Where'd he get that power to do all those? They were amazed. And you know, they should have believed right there. But a prophet has no honor in his own town, does he? Nope. And then number seven, the mighty works of the incarnate Son of God. I love every aspect of these these little points regarding Christ in the flesh. His work attested to the claim that he was the Messiah. That's what he came to be. In John 14, 11, Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, then, believe the works themselves. Hey, if you're not going to believe what I say, then look at what I'm doing. Believe what I'm doing. I mean, come on. See that guy who couldn't walk over there? Now he can walk. See that guy over there? He couldn't see. Now he can see. Oh, that guy over there, he was full of demons. Boom. Now he's back in his right mind. Oh, see that little girl? She was dead. Now she's alive. Believe the works. And you know, today, Jesus still works. And you know what he does? I think the greatest witness of Christ today is a changed life. And you know that if you're serious about your faith and you've been walking with Christ, you've changed. Maybe not completely. No. We're all a work in progress. God knows I am. Not there yet. But there have have been some changes that have taken place. So we believe the works. You can't argue with a changed life. You can argue with the Bible all day long. But you can't argue with a changed life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Then believe in the works that I've done. So Jesus in his flesh was God incarnate. In other words, God in the flesh. And here's what we saw today. In quick review, the Old Testament spoke of him. Isaiah prophesied. Micah prophesied. Jesus even quoted Isaiah to say, see, he was talking about me. What's wrong with you people? He was talking about me. Secondly, yes, he was born as a baby and he had a childhood. And he grew up. He grew up like a little Jewish boy. And he submitted to his parents. You know, he's God in the flesh, but he was still obedient to his parents, and he submitted to them. 
They were his authority. Thirdly, he was baptized into the ministry by his cousin, John the Baptist, anointed by the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove and accepted by God the Father when he said, This is my beloved Son, and him I am well pleased. And fourthly, his humanity was tempted. Right after, are you kidding me? Right after he began his ministry, he was ordained. The first thing he did was face the devil. Wow. Talk about a challenge. The first thing, face the devil. But that's okay. Oh, he came through with flying colors. No doubt about it. And then fifthly, he was transfigured. Transfigured to give a picture of his glory, his resurrection state and a picture of the coming kingdom. Yes, he's going to come and set up his kingdom. That's right. And those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, man, they got to see it. And sixthly, when he taught people, they were amazed. Not only were they amazed because it was Jesus, and they knew him, but they were amazed because no one ever taught like him. He was graceful. Oh, yeah. He came in grace and truth. See, you need them both. If it's just grace, it becomes all sentimentality. If it's just truth, then it cuts. But grace and truth, they kind of temper each other. When I was sick, when I was a little kid, I had to take an aspirin. I didn't want to take it. So my mother busted up the aspirin, put it on a spoon, put some jelly on the spoon, and I could suck it down. You know what that was? Grace and truth. (laughs) The grace was the jelly. The truth was the aspirin. You been there? (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. And then lastly, number seven, it was the things that he did, his works, that proved that he was God. Because no one could do the things that he did. No one at all. I don't know, I like these messages about Jesus because it just reminds me of how great he is. And that's why, go to the Hope Club podcast and you can hear these things again. And join uh, New Hope Radio support group. Go to newhoperadio.live, click the menu bar. For $3 a week, you keep us on the air and we send you an email every Monday through Friday, an audio file. You don't even have to read it. You just listen to it. Set to music. It's about five or six minutes long. Get you started off on the right foot. Awesome way to begin the day. All right. Well, listen, that's it for today. Thank you for coming along. We'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.